Good morning, family, and, and happy Christmas to you. I'm going to be reading from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. And may I encourage you to follow along with me. John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Amen. Good morning, friends, and Merry Christmas. It's wonderful to be together and to be able to celebrate Christmas together. If I haven't met you, my name is John Falk. I'm the minister here at City Anglican. And if you're joining us online, it's great to have you with us as well. A quick apology. Uh, we did have a few issues uh, convincing the live stream to start, but I believe you're with us now. Uh, it would have been great if you caught the first five minutes. It was spectacular. Uh, we laughed, we cried. Uh, but I'm glad you can join us now. But uh, we're going to spend some time in God's Word. Uh, so let me pray uh, that He might guide our time together. Uh, dear Lord, I thank you that we can gather like this to celebrate the birth of your son. I pray that I might speak faithfully to your word now, that we might recognise why we need your son and your grace and mercy. Amen. Last week on ABC Radio, uh, Richard Glover did a segment on the various Bible accounts of the birth of Jesus. It was a pretty benign segment, just looking at you know, what Matthew had to say and what Luke had to say. But for many listeners, they were completely outraged. Uh, it wasn't that there was uh, any particular agenda in the segment, but simply because they were talking about Jesus at all. And at Christmas. Uh, can you believe it? Uh, now, I appreciate that the ABC audience uh, might be, you know, leaner of a particular way, uh, but their anger does say something about the times in which we live. Uh, and in many respects, we shouldn't be that surprised because the events of Christmas and the identity of Jesus has always polarised people. Uh, so the Bible does have two accounts, Matthew and Luke. Uh, but today we're reading from the book of John. And so it's written by the Apostle John. And John is less concerned with the details of that birth and more concerned with who and why. So who is Jesus and why did he have to come? So it starts from a very different place. 
And right from the start, the Gospel of John is far more, you know, far more in your face because it declares that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. You know, for some, any belief in God is offensive, let alone the idea that God would choose to come as a child. Because out of all the ways that God could show his awesomeness, that display his majesty, a child just seems so small and localised and vulnerable and helpless. But I don't think that's the most offensive bit. The really offensive bit is believing there is a God who defines what is right and wrong. So as Christians, we recognise that God defining what is right and wrong is actually a good thing. Uh, that he created us, he knows us, he knows what is best for us. Uh, but for many, they view the values of the Bible as actually inhibiting the progress of humanity. Uh, so for some, uh, progress is defined by health and happiness. And happiness is achieved through living the way we want, free from guilt and shame. And so our culture has become incredibly protective around this way of thinking. So you are commended if you speak into it, and you are ridiculed if you speak against it. So this is our cultural context. And yet, so despite the dismissiveness of our culture, here we are, gathered together to remember the birth of this child. And this child will either confirm or challenge everything we believe about life. Because this, the Bible claims that this child is completely and truly unique. And we see that uniqueness in these opening words of the book of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Now they are astounding words. They elevate Jesus you know, way beyond the status of wise man or good teacher or inspiring example. His birth speaks to his humanity, but John really wants us to see his power and majesty. He was with God the Father in the beginning, he was with God the Spirit in the beginning, and it is through him that God has created all things, including us. So John wants us to see the connection for what he's writing here about Jesus with what happened right back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1-1, where it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And the fact that God speaks and things come into existence is a demonstration of his power. Even though the source of light in these opening words is actually not the sun, it's God himself, uh, that God radiates light. He's not dependent on his creation. Uh, God is the one who brought everything into existence, and he's the one who gives it purpose and meaning and form. I think for many people, the creation account is a real stumbling block. Because you know, where does it fit with you know, something like the Big Bang? And I think you know, as Christians, we, we need to acknowledge that there's lots of things in life that we don't know the answers to. But that's not just for Christians. That's for everyone. 
And so even if we take sort of a naturalistic approach to how we view the existence of you know, all things, the universe, then it's still hard to believe. Even if you believe in a you know, time, space, you know, singularity moment where all matter goes into the size of a pea and then explodes out, and black holes, uh, which are all awesome, uh, at the moment we can't actually prove that stuff. Uh, now science does have all sorts of answers. But at some point, we do have a leap of faith where we don't know all the answers. So as Christians, we shouldn't be afraid of science. Science helps us to understand how God created things and how he has created things to work. So we don't have all the answers, but we do know that God is behind it. That God's, God existed, his word existed from the beginning, and by his word, he created all things. But the language of word also speaks to his knowability. You know, if the heavens declare the glory of God, then God speaking declares his knowability. We can actually know what God is like. That God is personal. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews put it like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heirs of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So how do we know what God wants for humanity? Well, he speaks through his Son. And when Jesus heals a crippled person or helps a, or makes a blind person see, then that makes that speech even more compelling. And ultimately, his resurrection is the great confirmation that what he is saying is true. So Jesus is the word, and Jesus is life. So from our passage, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, I love the language of light. For something that is so intangible, so hard to describe, it captures so much. You know, it turns that, you know, dark house with, you know, monsters lurking under the bed. You, know, you turn the lights on, it becomes a place of safety and security. You know, if you've ever been up all night worrying about someone you love or lying there in pain, uh, then you know the feeling of loneliness and hopelessness that comes with night. But also that hope and relief that comes with a new dawn. Yeah, it helps us to appreciate that sign that saying the night is darkest just before the dawn. Uh, often not true literally, but certainly true emotionally as you walk that journey. But we can also appreciate the language of light and darkness when it comes to describing character. You know, light speaks to goodness and purity. It's something that comes from within, but then radiates out. It impacts the world around us. It's how they live, it's how they treat other people. And that's how John is describing Jesus here. It's a light that overcomes darkness. You know, they say that you know, good company, good, sorry, bad company corrupts good character. Uh, but for John, he wants us to be really clear that Jesus shares in our humanity, but he isn't consumed by it. Uh, he resists the temptation to be selfish and instead chooses to be selfless. He chooses obedience over power and sacrifice over comfort. 
And because he is light, he is unblemished by sin. He can rightly stand in our place and pay the price for our sin. And that's exactly what he does at the cross. You know, today we remember his humanity and his power and his perfection. But at Easter, we'll remember his sacrifice. So if Jesus is light shining in darkness, then I hate to say it, but we, collectively, as humanity, are the darkness. And I think we know that's true when we honestly self-reflect. We can see that darkness in ourselves. We hate the fact that we do things that we don't want to do. We hate that we are jealous and envious and greedy. But at the same time, we so often don't want to let those things go. You know, Gollum in Lord of the Rings is such a good metaphor for the power of sin. It's our precious. We hate it and we embrace it at the same time. And in the end, it leaves us less than who we were created to be. But the darkest of the darkness is not actually our behaviour or even those internal feelings of bitterness. The darkest of the dark is our rejection of the God who created us. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yeah, that's a pretty bleak assessment of humanity. Uh, thankfully, though, uh, that's not the end of the story of John. Uh, there is hope. Yet yeah, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So God is the one who sends his son to give light. And light comes through his messages. He teaches us uh, who we should be and how we should, be, how we should live. You know, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Loving our neighbour as ourselves. And the light comes through the events of the cross. That is God's means of dealing with sin. Standing in our place to pay the price for all the darkness that we live with every day. And it's a gift. Uh, we are not entitled to God's love or mercy or grace. Now, in the Old Testament, Israel presumed they were entitled to God's grace and blessing because God chose them as his people. Now, these days, we might presume we're entitled to God's grace because we're baptised or we come to church or we just feel that we are good people or at least better than other people. Uh, but the whole message of the Bible is that we're not good, uh, but we are loved. And we can't earn God's favour, we don't deserve it, but there is an invitation to receive it, and to step out of darkness and into the light. Uh, But receiving and believing are more than just accepting help. It also comes with a commitment, a commitment to turn away from our old way of thinking and our way of life, and to turn towards God, and to recognise his lordship and to recognise his rightful authority. Uh, It's choosing to submit to God's will for us rather than trying to exert our own will. Uh, So this Christmas we remember a child, uh, but more significantly it reminds us of what God is doing in the world. That God would choose to humble himself and share in our humanity. 
And he chooses to bring us words of life and he chooses to bring us light. And he invites us to move from a place of darkness to a place of light. And that has very real life-changing implications uh, for how we live now, but also for our eternal future. So this Christmas, uh, we remember once again that there is hope for humanity, but it does come with a choice. And my prayer for us is that we choose life. So in these strangest of times, as we continue to live with COVID, uh, let me finish with these words. It's from the book of Numbers, but it's often used as a word of benediction uh, to close the service. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.